There are all kinds of ways in this world that the innocent suffer. There are all kinds of ways that life can be so unfair that that people can be so unfair. Your boss, if you're a worker. Your owner, if you're a slave. Your spouse, if you're married. The Jewish martyrs of the Maccabean revolt 150 years before Jesus were famous for the way they'd scream for God's vengeance against their enemies as they died. Seven Jewish brothers were dragged before the Emperor Antiochus Epiphanes and one at a time they were brutally tortured and put to death because they refused to eat meat sacrificed to an idol and bow to the Emperor. And each one, as he's about to die, calls down torrid curses of God's judgment on the Emperor. Here's Jewish brother number three. He says, We, most abominable tyrant, are suffering because of our godly training and virtue. But you, because of your impiety and bloodthirstiness, will undergo unceasing torments. Kind of like first century BC West Baptists. Now, the fact is, it is a distinctively Christian belief that God is judge. It's a distinctively Christian belief. It's part of our hope that the wrongs left unpunished in this life will be balanced out by the God of all justice and truth. And yet, because of Jesus, something has profoundly changed, which Peter wants us to notice. We're still in this section of 1 Peter. We started last week back in chapter 2, verse 25, about the way we live in an unbelieving world. Uh, We live in a world where if you're wronged, the saying is, don't get mad, get even. I'm oh, sorry, we'll just have to glitch again. We'll just get rid of that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jan. Uh, if someone hurts you, don't waste your time getting angry about it. Stay cool and concentrate on hurting them back. That's our world. That is China slapping an 80% tariff on our barley. Uh, that's life on social media. That's how we do it. Don't get mad, get even. Well, maybe both, irrationally outraged, and then get even. But last week we saw Peter saying to Christians, be different. So people will see your good deeds and glorify God. We saw him say, submit yourself if you're a citizen. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Bow willingly, he says to your rulers and governors. Be the ones who gladly go along with the road rules. Be the ones who gladly submit to the COVID shutdown regulations. To to the emperor, to the local two-bit mayor. We saw him say, submit yourself if you're a slave in reverent fear of God. Submit yourself willingly, not only if your master is good and fair, but even if they're harsh. I mean, it's not as if a slave back then could just resign and pick another job. So he says, if you're going to suffer unjustly, make sure as a Christian slave you're distinctive in the way you suffer as the best slave ever for doing good. Because, verse 21, he says, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And that example was, in chapter 2, verse 23, that when they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, 
He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He made no threats. Instead, he trusted God who judges justly in the end. Remember his words on the cross? Maybe you've heard them. Those words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Instead of threats, praying for God to have mercy on them. Which is actually astonishing, isn't it? Which brings us to the awkward topic of wives and husbands. Who would ever think that marriage would be a situation that comes to mind in the same breath as unjust suffering? If you're married, hopefully for you it doesn't come to mind in the same breath. If if you're young and you're not married, I imagine you're pretty optimistic. But the reality is marriage can be tough. Just ask someone who's tried it. This is double awkward though because looking through the passage, I can spot I think eight statements that you will find outrageous if you're a 21st century woman. Although maybe you'll find some of them liberating. This is a passage, for example, that says, don't bother with the Botox. If you're worried that you're not looking as good as you should be on Zoom meetings at work, there's a better option. And I'm not talking about the face filter, but you can find it in the top menu on the left. Uh, This is a passage that says, don't worry about fancy $300 hairstyles. This is a passage that says, There is no need to dress in the latest styles. You don't need expensive jewellery. Well, maybe with Life in Lockdown you've already figured some of that out, though I did hear that demand for Botox has gone way up in the last few months, as well as demand for earrings apparently, because they look great on Zoom meetings and you can still wear your tracky dacks under the desk. But look, the most irritating bit of the passage for wives might be the bit that says wives of unbelieving husbands should submit themselves to them. And then the bit at the end, even worse perhaps, that says Christian husbands need to be gentle and and considerate and treat you with respect as the weaker partner. And And you say, who says I should submit? And you say, who says we're weaker? Which is in a way a fair point. I saw in the news the other day an article that made the point that countries with women leaders have handled the COVID crisis far better than anywhere else. Countries like New Zealand, Norway, Iceland. The article says women are managing the crisis better because women have more resilience, more pragmatism, more benevolence, more trust in collective common sense. That women are more committed to mutual aid and humility which is exactly what the world needs in a crisis like this one. Now, personally, I reckon that article's a little bit sexist, but I suspect it's true. Uh, The women I know are so often smarter and nicer and more reasonable than I am. Uh, They'll tell you that as well. Besides which, have you noticed that the death rate from COVID is higher among men than women? And so we'll have to work out when we get to verse 8 what we're going to do with this idea of women being weaker than men. But before we get there, though, I want to ask you to take a few minutes to consider the kind of real inner beauty and inner strength that Peter's talking about 
and the way these ancient Christian wives, like every other Christian, are meant to do exactly what we saw last week, which is to demonstrate and illustrate the Lord Jesus in who they are and in what they do. It's all there in verses 1 and 2. And if you're here this morning and you are one of those wives of an unconvinced husband, g'day guys, uh, thanks for being here. Keep listening, there's something for you too. But the first thing to notice, if you're one of those wives, is is the situation back here in the first century world, this is talking about an, an astonishingly liberated situation back then. Almost inconceivable that a wife should have a different faith to her husband. These are women who have broken the social mould by saying to their husbands, you might be worshipping down at the idol temple, you might be worshipping down at the Jewish synagogue, but as for me, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus. And I'm not just going to do the socially standard thing of doing it your way, which already takes guts, both then and now. But the point is, of course, if a wife like that really deeply wants her husband to join her in seeing how profoundly good it is to follow Jesus, Peter's point is, you are never going to nag him into it. Not sure that you'll ever argue anyone into faith in the long run. But look, it's tough, isn't it, for both of you if one of you is a believer and the other one isn't. So what to do? Well, Peter says, wives in that situation, and remember, culturally, this is a Greco-Roman patriarchy. But Peter says, wives, submit to your unbelieving husband so that instead of nagging, instead of arguing, instead of insisting, you win them over not with words, but with a very different kind of beauty. Making yourself beautiful for your husband, not with layers of makeup and bling, but with what's inside. A beauty that doesn't fade. The beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. Now, I don't think that means being a wallflower. I don't think that means parking your personality at the door. I don't think it means just shutting up. But I do think it's about having the sort of self-control that's constantly thinking about what is good for the other, the kind of gentleness that cares without having to dominate, that doesn't need to win even when you are right 99% of the time. Much like the Lord Jesus, who submitted even though he was right 100% of the time. Which is why in verse 4 you see that is an attitude of such great worth in God's sight. Now, bear with me. Because if you're finding this tough already, it's about to get tougher. Especially if you are watching this beside your unbelieving husband this morning and, and you're saying, I've been trying this for 20 years and it hasn't worked. And he's maybe nudging you and saying, well, you haven't done much of a job of it. But listen, guys, if this is you, maybe give her a break and spend a minute reflecting on the fact that she might have been doing exactly this, or at least trying to, 
because of Jesus. And there is actually something in it. Maybe, just maybe, guys, you haven't stopped to think what a great deal you've got in that, to be married to a Christian woman like that in the first place, and maybe you're just too thick to have noticed. And look, speaking of thick husbands, think about Abraham for a minute, who, even though he's venerated as a forefather of Israel, when you go back and read his story in Genesis 12 onwards, over and over again, the medal really should go to Sarah. Abraham, as a husband, has got some really good promises from God. But it seems, as a husband, he does some really dumb stuff. Now, there are people and some scholars who have an alternative view of this. Uh, But have a look, go back and read sometime. Uh, Like the time in Genesis 12, right after he gets all the promises of land and descendants and blessing, he he and Sarah head off to Egypt to avoid a famine. And because she is so beautiful, Abraham says, tell everyone you're my sister so no one bashes me to steal you. Uh, Egypt was that kind of place. Like guys, you're walking with your wife in a dark laneway at night and you say to her, just walk a few steps behind me, sweetie, so when they take you, I won't get mugged. What a guy. Trouble is, he does exactly the same in another city in Genesis chapter 20. Slow learner as well. Which has got to make verse 5 and 6 even harder. Be a daughter of Sarah, even if you've got a husband like that. Here is Sarah's beauty. Take a look. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Submit yourself like Sarah and trust God. Even when your husband is sometimes a jerk like Abraham. Which can be scary, I know. Trust God and be like Jesus. Remember verse 1? He picked up the example of Jesus back in chapter 2 and it said, wives in this same way, in the same way as Jesus, act like this. Verse 7, at last we come to husbands, believing husbands at this point, but if you are an unbelieving husband, Listen to, because this makes such a good marriage model. Do you notice the same phrase, see it there? In the same way, not not in the same way as Abraham, our husbands in the same way, in the same way as Jesus, you too be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. It would be good if the verse stopped there, but it goes on to say, as the weaker partner. But I think he's saying weaker just in the statistical, physical sense. Now look, I know that domestic violence stats go both ways. I heard of a marriage in crisis a couple of months back, friends of friends, in court because she was violently abusing him. But most times, it's not that the man's any better or smarter, but just physically stronger. 
which is what Peter's talking about. Don't use that power. Most especially don't misuse that power. It was cultural back then, and it's still cultural now, to respect strength. But you see, Peter says, flip it and respect that she's weaker. Defer to her physical weakness and respect her as a co-inheritor with you of the gracious gift of life. Don't diminish her. Don't take it for granted. Don't crush her. He says, you're in it together. Don't let anything get in the way of your prayers together as a Christian family unit. Now look, I know for a lot of women in particular, this is a contentious passage. And if you have issues with this passage, it's better to talk about it in real life uh, rather than leaving comments on Facebook or Zoom. You can do that if you like. But I just want to invite you, feel free to, to call up and talk it through with a team member or a team wife if this is a particularly tough area for you in any way. But I just want to finish this morning by saying, yes, you know, these were words written to a place long, long ago and far, far away. And sadly, there are attitudes and actions that Christian men have developed and justified that that have led to a culture where, and this was exposed in the media a couple of years back, a culture where Christian wives have been undervalued, diminished in their personhood, and even physically abused. And because they're godly, they've stayed in harm's way on the basis of this passage. Doug said last week, and I'll make the point again, culturally back then, if you were a slave, there was no escape. So Peter says, suffer like Jesus. As a wife back then, there was no escape. A husband could divorce his wife with just a word. Whereas a wife had to apply to the governor and stood to lose everything. It's actually a good thing that today there are options. There are options to stay safe. And so we as a ministry team and a leadership of MPC are not at any point saying that that this passage says that if you're a woman in any kind of danger, the best thing is just to, to stay there and suffer like Jesus. Times have changed in a good way. But can I also say the whole point of this passage is husbands, wives, anyone. There are going to be times when you are treated unjustly, when you just so much want to get even, when you just want to say it's not fair and call down God's judgment. You know, you're right, it's not fair. But the question is not, how can I stand on my rights? The question is, how can I use those times to model Jesus? It takes courage and it takes gentleness and it takes submission in all the right ways. To say that what I want most is not to win, not to beat you, not to see vengeance. What I want most for you is to see me trusting Jesus and following his example so that you might too.
and trusting God with the rest in our resurrection hope. It's challenging in all kinds of ways, isn't it? When things can be so unfair. But will you keep that in mind? Wives, husbands, everyone, look for ways to flip the script and show the world some Jesus every time we can.